morning, everyone. It's always a great privilege to be afforded the opportunity of sharing in God's Word. Um, I guess, as they say, it comes with the territory. You know that when the Lord has called one to ministry, it does occasionally mean you have to preach. Um, even though the ministry I'm currently involved in doesn't always require me um, to, to preach. But you know, when, when I'm asked um, or afforded this opportunity and privilege to preach, I, I often like it when people say to me, you know, we are preaching on this sermon series, you know, can you preach on this particular topic? And that's great, you know, it gives me the opportunity to go in and study that topic and take a look at it. Um, you know, but when people come to me and they say, you know, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, you know, it puts me in a bit of a fix, you know, because God always seems to be misplacing my cell phone number, you know, because I like it when my cell phone rings and then, you know, there's the silence on the other side, you know, and then you, you, you hear the voice that says to you, this is an important heavenly announcement. <laughs> Lindsay, please preach on <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't happen to me. <laughs> I often have to find myself wrestling, you know. But, you know, we, we, we sometimes, um, you know, especially at Explore, you know, um, we are working through a series that Craig is preaching on hope, you know, and that is, that, that, that's been a topic that's been very much in my mind, you know. I think listening to those sermons have also inspired me, you know, to think about passages on hope. Um, in the next two weeks, um, there are two other occasions in which I've been asked to preach and, you know, preparing those sermons. And, and so, you know, I was contacted to say, you know, um, can you preach at another time? But then that time I wasn't available. And so today, you know, is that opportunity. And yeah, so, so here I am <laughs> in which I had to wrestle, you know, so Lord, what is it that you want me, wanting me to share today? You know, and without having that privilege of being on God's hotline, as it were, um, in thinking about it and in considering it and praying about it, you know, the Lord has done something that he does to me occasionally. You know, he reminds you of something that you preached on a while ago. You know, and it was 12 years ago that I preached this message right here. So for whatever the reason may be, call it, you know, that you're going back to your hobby, or Lindsay. <laughs> um, I, I want to share a message that, um, as I've thought about it, it is something that I think about a lot. It's something that I sometimes struggle with a lot in my own life, in my own thinking, and my own understanding. And for whatever the reason it is that the Lord has maybe reminded me of this, and ask me to share it with you again today. Um, the topic of our message this morning is something that I'm sure you have heard about a lot. If it's not from me, you've heard it from some other preacher or speaker. And the passage, you know, that for me is one of the most classical passages of Scripture that speaks to this topic is once again a passage that I know you know very well. And so the, the message for this morning is, again, why it is sometimes necessary for Christians to suffer. He became known as the Prince of Preachers. His series of sermons and devotions 
stand as one of the largest sets of books by any single author in Christian literary history. His works are still studied today by those aspiring to become preachers and pastors. Whenever he preached, the venue was always filled to capacity. People clamored to come and listen to his sermons. I'm sure you know who I'm talking about, the well-known Baptist preacher who epitomized one of what is called the golden eras of Christian preaching. His name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Yet, besides enjoying a ministry that was indeed blessed because of his preaching, what many people often don't appreciate and realize was that Spurgeon had a problem. He was severely affected, maybe even inflicted with gout, a condition that on many a day caused him to be in excruciating pain even while he was preaching. In fact, it was as a direct result of this condition with other complications that Spurgeon, as they say, did not necessarily live a long and robust life, but almost as it were at the height of his preaching ministry at the age of 57, he died, leaving behind a legacy of one who God greatly used, but even in that experience also greatly suffered. In the last few days and in the last month, we have heard of two other remarkable preachers and ministers of the gospel. Tim Keller, a few days ago, Presbyterian minister, greatly used by God as an evangelist and an apologist, having suffered through cancer, passed away. Last month or two months ago, it was George Verver the founder of Operation Mobilization. But like these, these great leaders and preachers of the faith, we know of one such person who was, as it were, um, the, um, the one who went ahead of these great preachers, the Apostle Paul. He too also suffered. A suffering that at times was so intense was even used to challenge his authenticity as an apostle. So the Apostle Paul in this well-known passage that I'm going to be reading for us, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 from verse 1 to verse 10 opens up for us a window on his world to help us to understand and to potentially answer this important question, why do Christians actually suffer? 2 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 1 to verse 10 it is necessary, says the Apostle Paul, to boast. It is not helpful, but I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven. Fourteen years ago, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise. He, he heard inexpressible words, which a man is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this man, 
but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. For if I want to boast, I will not be a fool, because I will be telling the truth. But I will spare you, so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, red letter edition in my Bible, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So because of Christ, I am pleased in weaknesses, in insults, in catastrophes, in persecutions, and in pressures. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so we pray, dear Father, as we contemplate the experiences of this great servant of the Lord, the Apostle Paul, we pray that through his experiences we might come to understand and appreciate what your good and what your perfect will is. In Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. I'm often surprised that this teaching that I heard of in the 1980s and through the 1990s is still being propagated in many circles today especially by those who form part of specific movements within the Christian faith. And the teaching is basically that the Christian life, if it is lived well, and if it is lived truthfully and honestly, that that life, the Christian life, should not be characterized by any form of suffering. In other words, the teaching says that it is possible by faith to sometimes name, claim, and frame, as they say, for oneself both health, wealth, and prosperity that will remove oneself from any form of suffering. Thus, they conclude that whenever a Christian does suffer, it is maybe as a result of sin, maybe some hidden sin, some un unconfessed sin, maybe some sin in one's family background that has contributed to why it is that we are still suffering. I know a number of people, some of them very close and personal friends, who in all sincerity have become convinced and embraced this teaching, and how they went about confessing their sin, both known sins and unknown sins, and went through all kinds of processes, but sometimes walked away bitterly disappointed and deeply disillusioned when they did not receive liberation from their suffering. You see, there's a sense in which it's sometimes almost understandable for us, is it not, 
that when one considers the life of the unsaved, you know, for those people who are living in sin, you know, that, yeah, one would understand, you know, why it is that they are suffering because of the evidence of sin. But why is it that those who are righteous, that those who seek to live their life according to God's word, that they also seem to suffer what we call the reality, the experience of righteous suffering? You know, because could not our all-powerful God you know, not by, um, could he not just by a simple utterance of his word, just like the words that he used at the creation to say, you know, let there be, could he not reverse that and say, let there not be any suffering, and then just completely wipe it off from the face of this earth and not leave any trace of it? I absolutely believe that God could do that. But I have to wrestle with the reality that within what we call his permissive will, he does not. You see, the Apostle Paul faced this challenge. He faced this, 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 this same problem. You know, when you read through the book of 2 Corinthians, we understand that what the Apostle Paul is doing here within this book is trying to encourage this church that he had a hand in, in terms of its birth and in terms of its growth. And so he spent quite a bit of time um, with, the, with the, the Christians in the city of Corinth, building them up in the faith. You know? But when he left, you know, because he was an apostle to the Gentiles, because he had to travel, because he had to go and preach elsewhere, you know, there were others who came into the life of the church, you know, what some Bible commentators called so-called super-apostles. They had entered into the church of Corinth and began propagating this Version of the gospel that I've just spoken about very earlier. You know, this idea that the gospel of necessity has to be accompanied by spectacular spiritual experience lived in the complete glory of prosperity. And so, like some of these modern-day preachers today, I can kind of imagine within my mind, you know, these so-called super-apostles pulling up at the church in, um, at Corinth in their flashy limousines, or maybe those flashy chariots, wearing the best possible three-piece suits. No, maybe it wasn't three-piece suits, you know. Um, and also, you know, seeing the sun, the light of the sun, joyfully bouncing off the glittering jewelry as they preached. And they basically came into the church at Corinth and saying, this is what the gospel is all about. This is what true gospel living is all about. But what about this other guy we hear that was here before us? The Apostle Paul. Oh my word, isn't he a pathetic example of what it means to be a Christian? in the light of the way in which we experience the gospel. You know, and, and, and the Apostle Paul, you know, probably wasn't very good looking. You know, in fact, according to an apocryphal source, an apocryphal record that describes the Apostle Paul, it describes him as a short man, bow-legged with a long hooked nose. I mean, surely, surely God could have chosen a better candidate to represent him in ministry than a person like the Apostle Paul, a person with such a disastrous record. You know, and if we read the, the earlier chapter um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 16 onwards, you know, you will see all the kinds of disasters and all the kinds of terrible experiences that the Apostle Paul had to go through. 
But it's simply a reminder that when, that when God saved the Apostle Paul, you'll remember that very dramatic encounter on the, on the road to Damascus, you know, when there was this blinding light and the Apostle Paul was struck down and had to go to that house on straight street. And when Ananias the prophet, you know, um, God said to him, go and pray for this man. He said, Lord, you know, this guy is a bad guy, you know. And God said to him, you know, Go and pray for him, because I have appointed him, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, as an apostle to the Gentiles, and I will show him how much he has to suffer for the gospel. And what the apostle Paul was doing here within 2 Corinthians was comparing himself to the so-called super-apostles and saying to them, well, you know, it's not so much the blessings it's not so much those flashy things, those great things that we are able to experience that legitimizes ministry, the blessing and the prosperity. But in his own experience, it was actually the suffering that legitimized it. I don't know, maybe there was this tradition that, that started to develop within the church of Corinth, you know, where, when they you, you, you used to sing, you know, led by wonderful singers like John, you know, they would maybe sing, you know, count your blessings, bassoon them one by one, and it will surprise you just how much more and more will come. But what the Apostle Paul does, right here in the earlier sections of 1 Corinthians 12 that we have read, he said it is not so much religious pedigree that, that affirmed him as an apostle because that is what he had. It was not so much health, wealth, and prosperity, but rather it was this experience of weakness and suffering. You see, if it was necessary for the apostle Paul to boast, he could. He could talk about spiritual experiences. In fact, this very enigmatic section that we read right at the beginning of this passage, most commentators believe that this is simply the apostle Paul talking about himself. This man that was caught up to paradise, that heard inexpressible things, that saw things that he found very difficult to describe. He wasn't talking about somebody else, but in humility he was actually talking about himself. And says, you know, if, if it is necessary to boast, I'm sure I can boast. I can boast about a person like that. But that is not what validates my ministry. That is not what makes me a true child of God. It is actually necessary for Christians to suffer. Now, I must admit that there are, for me, even for me, great philosophical questions and problems, you know, when it comes to this idea of evil in the world and the presence of suffering. You know, whether it's individual suffering or whether it's corporate suffering, whether it is as a result of bad decisions they make or as a result of social structures or whatever the, the reason might be. But you see, for me, the question should not so much be as to the origin of suffering and evil, which is a very, very difficult question to answer. But the issue is actually all about how we deal with it. And I want to assure you this morning that this message that I'm sharing today is not a devotion um, that is a call to suffering and saying, you know, like what some have done in certain Christian traditions and you know, of self-flagellation. You know, let's go out there and look for a reason to suffer for, for Jesus. Now, 
That is not what we are talking about. But rather it is an acknowledgement that for various reasons and within the sovereignty of God, there is such a thing as divinely ordained suffering. I don't know for the life of me if the lions in the Garden of Eden were herbivores before the fall. Or whether Adam and Eve only developed a central nervous system. You know, when Adam gave Eve a rose and, you know, that thorn stuck into his fingers. I don't know, you know, whether physical pain only came as a result after the fall. But I do know that the experience of pain is very important because it's messages that your body sends to you to say, you know, something bad is about to happen to you. But I'm convinced that there is a purpose to suffering and that somehow suffering and glory go together. In this passage, let me share with you what I think are three important lessons that the Apostle Paul teaches us as to why it is that God allows Christians to suffer. First of all, I believe this passage teaches us and the Apostle Paul's experience teaches us that suffering helps us to focus our attention upon God. Suffering helps us to focus our attention upon God. We need to take note what the Apostle Paul says specifically in verses 7 to verses 8. To keep me from becoming too elated, from becoming too big-headed, there was, the verb is passive, there was given me. In other words, there was nothing that he consciously did for this to happen. It wasn't his own decision. But beyond him, within God's permissive will, God allowed him to experience suffering. There was given me a thorn in the flesh. Once again, you know, our English translations fall a bit short, you know, because we think, you know, a small little prickly thing that, yes, is a great irritation, you know, um, and, and that's what the Apostle Paul experienced. No, the word he uses here is that of a sharpened stick that was stuck into his flesh. A stake, no small irritation, I want to, I want to assure us. But even he describes it, a tormenting messenger of Satan. And again he repeats it, why it was given to him. To keep me from becoming too elated. You see, the, the result of all of this was that the Apostle Paul had to realize that he hadn't and he wasn't supposed to focus his attention upon that thorn in the flesh but rather to focus his attention upon God. Now there's been great speculation amongst the commentators, amongst people, as to what exactly this thorn in the flesh was, because it's quite clearly used here as a metaphor. You know, and some have seen it as a physical ailment. Some have seen it as ophthalmia, you know, he had some eye problem. Some have seen it as epilepsy. Some have seen it as the same problem that Martin Luther had, that maybe he suffered from depression. Some have seen it as, as a deep spiritual struggle, maybe some kind of temptation. I don't know, maybe it was his long nose. You know. I don't know what his problem was. But whatever it was, and I don't know, what I do know is this, and the scriptures makes it clear, 
it caused him excruciating suffering. And while the Apostle Paul suffered, the so-called super-apostles were playing in the brass section of the marching band, focusing their attention upon themselves. You see, if we lived in a perfect world, in a world in which there was no suffering, I'm not too sure that many people would focus their attention upon God. For many, God is only to be consulted when it suits them. When everything is fine, you know, when I have enough money, when I have enough resources, a nice house, a nice car, nice security, and when I'm in perfect health, why consult God? Why even think about Him? But often when disaster strikes, even those who deem themselves to be agnostics and atheists ask, you know, where is God in all of this? Indeed, people want to often live their lives like they want to, not worrying about God, but the minute things go wrong, conveniently turn to God and sometimes even blame God. But it's the writer C.S. Lewis who, says, who said the following, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Suffering helps us to focus our attention upon God and not on our own potential self-sufficiency. Secondly, suffering born patiently strengthens character. Suffering born patiently strengthens character. Um, let's read again verse 9. I want to remind you, this is what the Apostle Paul says. But he said to me, the red letter words, My grace is sufficient for you, for power or my power is perfected in weakness. You see, when, when God has gained our attention as an individual by allowing suffering, it is then that we begin, I believe, to truly understand what grace actually means. It seems that, that God allows grace to function, as it were, lubricated by weaknesses and not by boastful self-sufficiency. Furthermore, it seems to me that the concrete evidence of God's work in our lives is not always in the spectacular experiences. And they are great and they are wonderful. And the Apostle Paul had that. And we do desire it and we do want it. But it is in God helping us to deal with our suffering. You see, a, a faith that is not tested is often not worth being called faith. One of the, the programs I like watching on TV is called Forged in Fire. My family can't understand why I like to watch these guys making swords and, you know, blades, etc. But, you know, it's that process that is so intriguing, you know, as to how they take that metal and they put it in that furnace until it is white hot. And then they bang it and they bang it into shape. They forge metal together and into a shape, you know, that eventually will become, you know, that, that, that weapon or that implement that they will use. But, you know, once they have reached that point, it is then that they, they dunk it in oil or they dunk it in water. Because that process chemically makes that metal hard. It is that process of quenching after having been in the hotness of that forge that permanently puts in place the shape 
that has been designed. It's the Christian writer Richard Foster who says, we are living on the fluff side of faith if we haven't been baptized into the sacrament of suffering. The Apostle Paul realized that his suffering was not an obstacle to his ministry, but rather it was the opportunity that God was giving him to help him to be molded into the person that God wanted to, to be and also to strengthen his character. Suffering not only focuses our attention upon God, suffering born patiently strengthens our character, but suffering which is accepted fosters endurance. Verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, So because of Christ, I am pleased in weakness, in insults, in catastrophe, in persecutions and in pressures. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, it was this acceptance of suffering that seemed to trigger within the Apostle Paul's life an experience and a reality of grace that went beyond just that desire and that experience for glory that the Apostle Paul had. Now, now, Paul was no spiritual masochist, you know. He wasn't a sucker for punishment. But he simply realized this, that his relationship with God found deeper meaning and deeper authenticity when he accepted and experienced suffering. Therefore, I am content. Now, remember the apostle Paul struggled, you know. It says, three times I asked of the Lord, you know, he, he was sincere. He was genuine in his, in his request. But he comes to the conclusion and he says, Therefore I am content. That is not pitiful surrender, brothers and sisters. No, it is the Apostle Paul's cry of sweet victory. You see, we, we often develop what I call a, a picture story Bible book approach you know, to, to life. You know, I, I grew up with this picture story Bible book, you know, and you have those pictures. And especially when you look at Jesus, you know, Jesus looks very Scandinavian. <laughs> you know, he's got nice long blonde hair, you know, and Jesus wears clothes that is magical, you know, because there's, there's no dirt that will stick to his clothes, you know. The picture is perfect, you know, and even the Apostle Paul, you know, he, the Apostle Paul in, a, in the picture story Bible book, you know, would be a person who would contend for a part on the bold and the beautiful, you know, that old soap, you know. But you see, it is, it is when we think of life in that way, then we need to realize that that is not the reality of what the Apostle Paul experienced and what life is actually all about. And sometimes, you know, we feel compelled to pray in such a way, you know. We want to assist God, you know. God, I am suffering. God, I am trouble, you know. I, I want to help you to answer my prayers. Or we deteriorate and our prayers become just another pity party. But sometimes the Apostle Paul, what the Apostle Paul says is what we need to realize is what our answer should be. I am content. See, if we want to appreciate the beauty of roses, then we must also accept that there are thorns that goes with it. 
How we deal with suffering becomes the quality test of our future life as Christians. And I'm not wanting to say once again, you know, that we must go looking for it, but we must understand that sometimes there is a divine reason why we should be going through it. Spurgeon suffered, the Apostle Paul suffered, but this morning we are reminded that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ also suffered. And it is because he suffered, because he was willing to endure the cross, because he was willing to go through that public humiliation, we today have salvation. Spurgeon said in one of his sermons, Were you ever in the melting pot, dear friends? I have been there, and my ministry with me. The result of melting is that we arrive at a true valuation of things. We are poured out into a new and better fashion, and oh, may we wish for the melting, if we may get rid of the dross. If we may be pure, if we may be but fashioned more completely like unto our Lord, I am certain that I never grew in grace one half as much anywhere as I have upon the bed of suffering. And so it's an invitation to us, not so much an invitation to suffer, like the suffering we're experiencing because of ESCOM or the suffering that we think we're experiencing when somebody steals our seat in church or steals our parking lot at Howard Center. No, we're not talking about that. But we are talking about whatever it is that you might be experiencing right now. Because indeed, it's not pleasant. It is not pleasant and it wasn't pleasant for me last year when one of my good friends, talented musician, in love with the Lord Jesus, passed away because of ALS. It is not pleasant when I go on Facebook and I see my cousin asking for prayer for a young five-year-old son who was going through chemotherapy. But being able to say, his grace is sufficient for us. And so, dear Lord, we want to pray that as we consider what we are going through as your people at this time, brothers and sisters, let us quieten our hearts because as we come before this communion table, we are participating in the suffering of our Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to pray that if there's anything in us of which we are not worthy to participate, considering the great sacrifice that you have made, we pray that you might forgive us, that you might cleanse us, and that we might be able to participate with a clear conscience. I want to invite the service to, to come forward, and the worship team is going to be leading us. And let me remind us, as we prepare for this communion table, 
we are participating in the eating and the drinking of symbols. Deeply powerful symbols. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. That was bruised for us. The cup represents his blood that was shed for us. What powerful symbols. But Jesus said that whenever we do this, we do it in remembrance of him. So as you receive the bread and as you receive the cup, eat it, drink it, and say, I participate, Lord, in your suffering. So that if we are indeed going through some form of suffering, that we might be able to experience what the Apostle Paul experienced and say, Lord, I am content whatever your will is. And God might, um, in his grace and in his mercy, remove it. But God, in his grace and his mercy, might equally say, endure it.